0: Hello, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing drug trials and drug trials that have gone wrong. Most notably, the trial of the drug, I'm going to get this wrong every single time, but we'll try it, um, Theraluzimab, also known as TGN 1412, which was trialled in the UK in 2006 and resulted in catastrophic impacts to all of the trial participants before we before i jump into the main trial that i want to talk about today uh, i wanted to just talk a little bit about drugs and how they're made just for a bit of context and then also how they are then developed into something that we actually will take for whatever reason initial disclaimer on this whole episode is that i um i do have a biology degree but i haven't used it for like since I left uni so I'm definitely not an expert in this in this area very much just been from what I've learned and from what I've read like all these um, episodes I'll leave all of the links in the in the show notes so if you want to you know read more or learn more or anything like that then have a look there but yeah don't take everything I'm saying for gospel Uh, but I'll, I'll try my best when a pharmaceutical company wants to make a new drug or treatment First, it's about finding something that might work as as one of those treatments, and so that often is um, relies on studies to understand disease and understand the different um, body interactions and compound interactions as part of disease, and then looking at those and thinking about what other compounds might work to change or block or um, amend those those things that are that are going wrong within that disease. So once scientists have looked at that, they'll then try and find compounds that might work as a drug. So, and, and these compounds can come from anywhere, they could be derived from other things, so derived from plants or animals, that type of thing, or um, they could be man-made, so fully man-made in the, in the lab. Once they've found something that they think might work, they will first of all test that drug in the lab and they'll test it in in cells so they'll basically get some cells that they're trying to impact and usually the type of cells that have gone wrong so if it's a drug for your kidneys you know they might get some kidney cells for example and test them in the lab to see what they work and if it does actually have any impact and if it does have an impact in the in the lab and cells then they move on and the next test that they'll do is testing on animals Um, these will vary in terms of what animals are used mice uh, small smaller animals like rabbits pigs all the way up to to near human animals so uh, like chimpanzees, chimpanzees monkeys that type of thing that they'll they'll use and so they'll move on to these um, animal tests to see whether the drug can be tolerated but also to see whether the drug does anything or whether it does cause any side effects anything like that once they're comfortable with the animal studies they will then move on to human testing so it's actually really really rare to get to human testing the majority of drugs will never get anywhere um, near that so out of 10,000 things tested probably only like five or six will ever get to actually being tried out on humans which is probably a good thing um it's probably good that we're only testing things that that may actually have a proper benefit Um, And then even out of the ones that are then tested on people, uh, the majority of them will not, will either not go through all of the trials or will only go through one or or just won't be, won't be viable or won't work. Moving on then. So before, I want to talk a little bit about the human trials then, because they work in different phases. Once a drug company has, has done all of this work, found something that they think is, a a good drug a good compound they will then write a protocol for how they want it to be tested on humans and this protocol is really detailed it basically explains what they plan on doing what the trial should do uh what they expect to happen how you know how they want to set them up in terms of blind double blind studies how much of the drug they're planning all of that kind of thing and that big protocol then has to be reviewed, reviewed and generally approved by a governing body before any any of the trials can start. So in the case of the UK, in the case of the main story we'll talk about today, uh, that's the MHRA, and they review it and check that the, the trial will be run safely. The trial itself is then usually split into four phases. So phase one. Phase one trials are usually very small. They could be anywhere from... 5 to maybe 40 people involved in them and it's usually done just to understand if there are any side effects. So it's usually phase 1 trials are usually done in people that don't actually have the disease that they're trying to treat. So it's usually done in healthy people, usually men, usually uh, in a in a quite a narrow age range, uh, kind of younger 20s 30s 40s type age Um, and that's just to understand if, if anything goes wrong if there are any side effects or anything that should stop them from moving forward with a with a wider group of people what this trial also does is it works to try and understand amounts of and so as in like the amount of the drug that people should take in order to see how it goes so they'll often try different different amounts and different strengths and i've got another case today as well which talks a lot more about that And the phase one trials are usually done in hospital or in a medical facility where the participants are fully um, prepped and kept under observation for the entire time phase 2 trials then is we've we've done the phase 1 we kind of understood a little bit more about the drug and understood about side effects and amount but phase 2 is then actually does this drug actually do anything so does this drug actually make a clinical difference to those who who need it and those who may be sick and so that these are often the trials where you Pitch uh, a drug against an existing treatment, or you pitch a drug against doing nothing, and try and see whether there is actually any significance, or the drug is actually doing anything in order to, for it to work. And the phase two trial is usually bigger. Um, they will usually, yeah, may have more people. They may not be fully in a in a lab or in a in a medical environment. They might be uh, given and then allowed to go home and then just observed over a longer period of time. Phase three trials then, so if a drug actually makes it this far, which is not um, very often, then it's, the phase three is really about upping numbers and it's really about then upping numbers, but also really diversifying the uh, group that is studied just to really understand what the kind of edge cases are. So phase three usually is a lot longer in terms of how the study goes, so it might be over a number of months. And it will have a lot more people and it will have different locations, different ages, different ethnicities, all of that type of thing to really understand exactly how it will work. And usually that is, they can be in in the thousands or tens of thousands, there can be a lot of people taking part in these studies. And these studies, the phase three studies especially, can take a really long time to to prep for, to conduct, and then to analyze, especially because it can be quite difficult to... You may have to wait a long time to see the impact of a drug. So you may have to wait, for example, like in a cancer drug, you may have to wait months to see if it actually has any impact. And also in some of the conditions that they're trying to treat, they may not actually have that many participants who are at the right kind of phase and and have all the right markers and, and all of that kind of thing to actually undertake the trial so phase three trials can take years and years and then phase four phase four trials actually happen once a drug has generally gone live say gone live i think that's more of a tech term (laughs) from my work once the drug has started being used um and is out there in the public then phase four involves tracking it once it's out there and seeing if if there have been any additional reactions or anything else that's gone with that drug so usually under 10% of drugs which make it to phase one will actually make it to phase four. So, you know, we've started out with 10,000, only a handful have gone through out of that handful, only 10% will ever make it through. And on average, the, it can take around 10 years to fully develop and test a drug and, and get it out there onto, onto shelves and generally will cost millions, millions and millions of dollars to get it out there so if we move on now to a couple of trials that have gone wrong i just want to iterate that the majority of trials go right as uh we will have seen from all of the drugs that we have and the fact that we don't hear about this very often this is a very rare event uh, but they do go wrong sometimes as as is life and uh, we do learn a lot from them So this first trial, I'm going to go back to calling it TGN1412 so that I don't have to fight with that name. But in this drug, so what happened was in March 2006, Parexel, um, who are a firm who conduct trials on behalf of big pharmaceutical companies, began a trial for a new drug. And this drug was an immune therapy. So it, it, it went in and adjusted your immune system, hopefully to try and fight off autoimmune conditions such as arthritis, but also uh, for treatment within cancer as well. So the drug had passed animal studies. It had been tested in monkeys, so it had been tested in a near-human animal as well. And it was generally thought that it was fine and it was ready to be uh, moved into human trials. The trial itself would take place over two weeks, so the participants would be there for two weeks in Northwick Park Hospital in London. And it was done on eight participants, so they were all, all healthy young men. So these eight men were split into two groups. So they're split into two groups of four, each within a room. So within each room of four, three would be given the drug, one would be given the placebo, just to see and test against a a, a nil value. And it was a double blind study, which meant that both the people that were getting the drug, but also the doctors who were conducting the trial didn't know who got what. So no one knew who who was getting uh, the treatment. So when the trial was due to start, these men turned up at the hospital. They were all being paid quite healthily for their time over the, over the next two weeks. And they were put into these two rooms and then they used an intravenous infusion, which delivers the drug quickly into the body. So, so the doctor started administering the drug one after the other, to to the men, and worked their way through the rooms. And they were doing this pretty quickly. So they were generally uh, starting one, so starting the drug, entering on one, and then just waiting a couple of minutes and moving to the next. So within, you know, 10, 20 minutes, basically all of the men had been given the drug. However, within 50 minutes of receiving the drug, the first volunteer started to feel ill, and he started to get headaches, fever, chills, vomiting, and... I mean, I can't imagine anything worse knowing <laughs> that you have also gotten what they have because uh, kind of one at a time, they basically all started getting ill in the, in the order that they had been given the drug. So one at a time, uh, they started getting really sick, um, the same kind of symptoms, and they just escalated super quickly. So within a couple of hours, uh, one had to be moved to intensive care and then soon they were all moved to intensive care and some would have to be put into induced comas because they were just so sick the main problem here was that the doctors didn't know why they were sick so they did because obviously this is an experimental drug it wasn't like they had a strict protocol to then know what to do in terms of that in terms of what had happened so it became clear very quickly who had received the placebo and who hadn't. So the two men who received the placebo obviously were the only two in the in the ward that weren't kind of feverish and vomiting and all of that kind of thing. So they were they were let go, they they left. And the doctors then stayed and really tried to figure out what was happening to the six men who were getting really sick. They continued to get worse so they started to get a lot of swelling um and they if you kind of read about this online uh they started calling it the elephant man case because they literally were were just getting so swollen and so full of fluid and soon their organs began shutting down as well at this point all of the participants are in intensive care uh they were given Their their blood was filtered so that they could remove the drug and try and get it out of their systems as quickly as possible. And they were also given lots of steroids to try and dampen down whatever was going on, as that was their best guess that basically their immune system was going into chaos. Over time, it thankfully seemed to get better. The people, the men um, involved seemed to improve. And what they figured out later was basically when they were given this drug it caused something called a cytokine storm. And that's basically when your immune system just goes totally into overdrive. So it basically just reacted and it meant that all of the immune systems released this inflammatory substance. And then what happens is as soon as that inflammatory substance is released, it then encourages other cells to release it. So they were just in this storm basically where one after one of their cells were just releasing all all of these cytokines and it was just making them just sicker and sicker and sicker. Thankfully, the, the course of treatment that they had picked with the steroids works against this. And this cytokine storm wasn't observed in animals, so it wasn't seen in the previous trials, but actually in the research protocol for the drug, it was listed as a possible side effects because anything that's impacting the immune system, this is always something that could happen. So thankfully, all of the men survived, uh, which is very good. So most of them were in intensive care for a week, and then they were moved on to the wards and eventually released. Some of them were there for a lot longer. Uh, The worst case was one of the men actually ended up staying in hospital for four months, and due to the impacts of the drug, he had to have his toes and his fingers amputated because of um, problems with blood supply. And the thing with this is that because it was an unknown drug and an unknown reaction, even though they got better, the doctors couldn't say whether they were going to get sick again in future. So they were, you know, told to always be on the lookout potentially for things going wrong with the immune system or or potentially other things. So following the trial then, there were several reviews into what happened. Um, and it was generally found that the research protocol had been followed, but the fact that the doses were given so quickly And the fact that this was a possible side effect, which no one really clicked upon, or no one, it wasn't in the front of people's minds, so when they started getting sick, they didn't consider this as a problem. So those were both things that really needed to be considered and watched for sooner. The companies involved apologised to the men who were impacted and settled with them for compensation outside court, and it actually resulted in the collapse of one of the firms who was actually involved in the creation of the drug. So one a small firm had cre- had found and created this drug because of these uh, failed trials. They, were, they totally collapsed as part of it. And like I said, the men went on to live normal lives and so far so good. So there hasn't been any long life impacts, but we'll just got to wait and see what happens with them. And interestingly, uh, when I was reading about it, the drug itself actually continues to be researched and trialed so it's clearly a drug that can have benefit and people think will have benefit but it it was purchased by a drug startup who have since done successful clinical trials but they've used like a fraction of the dose so even though in the in this trial they were using a fraction of the dose that was given to the animals they're now doing a fraction of that so it, you know so it was such a powerful drug that it, it just needs to be administered in such tiny quantities but yeah i just well i don't think i ever want to do a drug trial anyway but i just can't imagine them just just seeing everyone else getting sick kind of one at a time and then knowing it's going to happen to you and then not knowing how to treat it or what to do about it, it must have just been a nightmare Another trial, which I wanted to briefly touch on, is a French trial of a a drug called BIA-102474. Very catchy. Um, And this was a drug, and it was designed as a painkiller and used um, for anxiety. So it impacted the endocannabinoid system. Don't ask me what that is. I don't know. But (laughs) it was designed for those. And... It had worked through all of the of the animal and another testing, and then the trial was then going to be a phase one trial, which would take place in Rennes, Rennes France. I probably said that wrong. R E N N E S in July twenty fifteen, and so this trial, compared to the one that we just talked about, was a bit more complex. So it was focused on safety but it was also focused on understanding the impacts and dosages of the drug what it would do would would look at not only giving the drug once and seeing what happened but giving the drug multiple times over multiple days to see what happened as the drug built up but then also testing if the drug should be administered at different levels. So what happens when, you know, you're only given 10 milligrams of it? What happens if you're given 1,000 milligrams of it and, and trying to see the differences? So because it had those two different things that it was going to be considered and because it was thought to be a relatively low-risk drug, it was done with 128 volunteers over two weeks in in this hospital, and they each received about 2,000 euros uh, for the two weeks that they would participate So like I said, each participant was then given a dose of the drug each day for 10 days to understand the impact over time and the dosages varied in strength all the way up and you were put into different groups based on the strength that you were given. So prior to things going wrong, the drug was generally well managed and well accepted and 84 participants had taken the drug and were totally well so they uh, thought that it was no problem and they carried on. It was only when the amount of drug that was given was increased to 50 milligrams that things started going wrong. So this was giving the, this group of people 50 milligrams of the drug every day. And on day five, one of the volunteers suddenly became really unwell. Uh, he had symptoms similar to a stroke, so similar with bleeding on the brain, losing sensation in one half of the body, limpness, or of that type of thing. And so he was rushed to hospital as soon as that happened, but sadly died a few days later. And the other six volunteers who were on the same regimen soon started having very similar uh, neurological symptoms. And they were all admitted to hospital and they, their brains were scanned and it was shown that they had necrotic lesions. So like dead, dead bits and bleeds and stuff like within their brain as a result of taking this amount of this drug. Thankfully, the rest of the six um, seemed to be okay, from what I could read. Uh, I think that they were treated pretty quickly, and it was just sadly that the impact on this one man was so much worse than everyone else. Uh, but and then it seemed that like one of them was fine, which is very random. So you just you just don't know, I guess is the you know the summary of that, and that's why you clearly have to test these drugs on so many people. One person can take it and be totally fine, and one person can take it and die. You just you just don't know. At that point, once once they ha- these impacts had started being seen, they they halted the trial, um, and immediately reported the issues to the authorities. I say immediately. That was one of the problems was that actually they admitted him to hospital, but then he then the the trial the runners of the trial didn't tell the authorities what had happened or what was going wrong for like three days. Uh, so they were criticised a lot about that, and uh, the other people were then treated in hospital. So like the TGN study that we just talked about earlier, there were a lot of reviews following this trial as well, looking at why they were trying the drug at such a high strength, uh, because it was generally thought that it was very effective at like one milligram. So why were they even bothering to go up to 50 milligrams when it would never be considered a strength that would actually be used in future? So they were very critical critical of that. They were also critical about uh, the dosing. Again, very quickly between volunteers, so everyone was on the same uh, pattern. So these this group was all given the same amount at the same time each day, and and that was quite difficult because for that drug, the, because it was low risk. In the low risk drugs, there's no guidelines as to how often or how many people to give the drug to. So yeah, that was that was an issue that came up thankfully like i said those five men that were impacted are, are uh, seemingly okay there is some consideration that some of them may have had long term neurological impacts and unlike the first one i haven't seen that this drug is continuing to be developed now because i'm talking about drug trials i wanted to very quickly <laughs> just touch on the covid vaccine trials mainly because i feel like that's we're hearing so much about them at the moment which is why I ended up in a rabbit hole looking at all of this kind of stuff. And they're really in the spotlight at the moment. And so the process that the drug companies have been following for the vaccines is very similar to what we've talked about today. So it goes in a similar process through through animals and then through the different phases of testing. And the main aim in the COVID vaccine trials was really looking at whether that vaccine decreased the symptoms someone felt and whether the vaccine stopped death in those that may have caught COVID. Um, and I thought that was interesting because it there's been a lot of uncertainty in the news around whether... what what had the effectiveness of the vaccine but the vaccines were trialed for those two measures so it was shown that the vaccines were effective in those two but because the vaccines weren't trialed to see whether they impacted spread of covid so whether you could give covid to someone else that's why there's been all of these questions around effectiveness and i didn't really understand the difference as to as to how it worked so Thankfully, the, the vaccines that we have on the market at the moment seem to be, have been shown to be effective in phase three trials to decrease symptoms and to decrease death when getting COVID, but there hasn't been any trials to specifically say whether it stops spread, but it does seem like they are doing them. So, but what I found interesting is what I've said so far in this episode is that it takes years and years to to develop drugs and and vaccines, and I think there's been a lot of fear in the press um, around how the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, got developed so quickly, and you know how are how are they already ready? And what I found interesting to find out was that actually this just shows how quick the process could be if. If there weren't so many problems, like so many issues and so much red tape with doing something. So actually, they followed the process exactly the same as they would for any other drug. But because there was such a need and a demand and fire behind it, it basically meant that they didn't struggle with finding any funding, which often really slows down drug trials. And... It just took away so much red tape that they usually have to spend, you know, months and months waiting for approvals for stuff. It got them straight to the front of the queue and they were ready to do that. So the trials themselves for the COVID vaccines have been fully, you know, validated and have been excellent and really handled really well, which I think is very nice to hear. They were... Also, in some of the steps that they could do around, you know, later trials, they could do things in parallel. So do two things at once rather than sequentially, often with drug trials without the demand for the COVID vaccine you know you do you phase one and you stop and you'd analyze it and you'd wait for more funding and you'd do a lot of stuff and then you move on to phase two whereas with the COVID vaccines it's allowed them to do a lot more at the same time so get you know really like gearing up for phase two whilst they're doing phase one and, and they've really had the manpower behind them and that's really great because it really shows that this is the timeline that we could be talking about for for drugs that have that demand in future, and this is what could happen. You know, this is this is the possible, basically, in terms of of, of development. So, the phase three trials for the COVID vaccines did rely on thousands of people being vaccinated or being given a placebo, and then waiting to see the different level of the, those symptoms across the two groups. Because COVID is obviously out there and in the community, it was they were generally uh, injected and then sent off into the normal lives and uh, were measured over over months to see impacts and, and effectiveness so these trials have now been completed and as we will know, as we all know uh, a lot of the vaccines are being given and there continues to be a lot more vaccine candidates that are coming through and all of them will be currently going through this process and this process will again continue for all of the next generation of vaccines as well because i think we all know that the viruses mutate and change and so therefore like the flu jab where you need a flu jab every year there's every possibility that might be the same with covid so there is such a strict protocol that these makers use and i think that that's really reassuring and hopefully convinces everyone to go and get their vaccines what is interesting now is technically that the vaccines that are being given are in a phase four trial so like i talked about right at the beginning phase four is when we are waiting to, when the drug is out there, and it's observing effects after. And so we can definitely see that at the moment with the AstraZeneca vaccine and other things that have been publicized around that. And so it just shows what happens with phase four and how effective it can be to uh, continue to to look at things and, and really understand the impacts and the side effects. And two interesting things with that there is this thing called like the yellow card scheme which is basically if you are impacted by any drug whilst it's in the, whilst it's out there in the public you are able to report those to a uh, regulatory body and they'll be investigated and if you do if you are interested in the covid vaccine development um, and you're in the UK you can sign up to be a covid vaccine uh, volunteer to to do some of the trials. Um, if you just Google it, it's an NHS website, uh, which I thought was quite cool to be able to get involved and, you know, make sure that we uh, are on our way to some, some semblance of normality. So definitely do make sure you get out there and get um, your jab uh, when it is offered to you. I wanted to put this in just because I didn't want to talk about how like hard and long trials were and then have have you worrying that the vaccine may not have been given as much rigorous testing as it has been. Um, if you are worried about um, vaccines and you're interested in more about COVID vaccines, I'll, I'll put loads of links um, and stuff in the show notes as well. So just have have a read of those. So pulling it all together, what we learned, uh, there were a couple of very key things that were learned in both trials. So first of all, there was, especially after the TGN trial, a lot was put on around the amount of time between dosages and also the amount of time between the first person ever being given a drug and other people being given a drug. So for the first person that gets this drug, they should be given it and then we should wait, you know, a reasonable amount of time before it's then given to anyone else. So give it to one person, wait a day or however long it is for for that specific trial and then give it to other people. So if there is a catastrophic uh, impact, like we saw in TGN, there is less risk for it to impact other people. Once it's then able to go in more than one person, it's then around the timings of the dosages between those people. So can you wait an hour between giving it to each person just to check that if anything does go wrong, anything's funny with the dosage, anything like that, there's more time to react and know what's happening, uh, which is really key. And so following these trials, there have been updates to um, policy and guidelines that drug companies have to follow in order to decrease that risk when doing a trial. And then the second key thing that was uh changed and qualified as part of this was really about dosing so like i said it's really important to understand the dosages and especially if it's a drug that can act very differently in a human versus an animal so even though we are decreasing the amount a lot from an animal to a human you still don't know what that might be so as part of this understanding dosages and really understanding making sure that the first dosages that are given to people are really really low is very important and has been given further scrutiny and further guidelines especially if it's a really high risk drug. So thankfully, like I said at the beginning, most drug trials are fine. You know, it doesn't, there's no kind of major scary impacts, which is great. Um, And as a result of these two trials that have gone wrong, uh, there have been a lot of developments to make drug trials a lot safer. And then that has meant that we get excellent drugs and vaccines and all these other things in our healthcare system, which is just exactly what we need. Great, so thank you for listening. Um, I, Like I mentioned before, I will put all of the reading in the show notes below and do have a look. One that I did want to shout out very quickly was there was a documentary which I actually watched years ago on... I don't know what country I was in. Watched it years ago. It was very good. It's called The Drug Trial. It was done by the BBC. Uh, it's now actually on YouTube. So if you just if you just YouTube um, The Drug Trial, it's like an hour-long documentary on the TGN trial. And it has uh, interviews and stuff with the men, so the patients that were involved, but also the doctors and all the staff. Um, and it's really good and it kind of dramatizes it so that you can uh, see see it all happening. It's really good um, and kind of got me on this rabbit hole. So do have a read of that one. Great. So time for me to to wrap it up. Um, I just wanted to very quickly say sorry that this episode is a week later than planned. I have been in Australia and New Zealand and so haven't had my microphone. I wanted to wait until I got back so that there was some reasonable sound quality in this. Um, but after this one, I will be back to every second week. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. I, I mean, I'd love to know if you've ever, tr- have you ever trialed a drug? Would you ever trial a drug? I should do some polls on my Instagram. So yeah, please, please do drop me a note. Let me know what you think. Uh, do follow me on Instagram. Speaking of it at when it goes wrong pod, and you can always drop me an email at when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com and be sure to subscribe on your podcast app of choice.